on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They'll look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, ESPN Radio, Utica Rome. Oh, what's happening, Mohawk Valley? What's cooking out there? Glad to have you along for the ride. If you're listening on the radio, if you're listening on the ESPN app, that's another terrific way to keep in touch with uh, what we're doing here on the radio program. You download the app, you hit the listen tab, you find ESPN Syracuse or ESPN Radio Utica Rome, and off you go into the world to explore new things. And you can take us with you wherever you go to do that, except the bathroom. That's kind of gross. You want to get in touch with the show? You want to fire off some hot takes? You want to get it rolling today? Bring it on, baby. That's hot. We're ready. 437-7644. That's the magical phone number. You can tweet me, Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media where the show never stops. The On the Block text line, another great way to get in touch, 288-0644. We have two guests that will join us today. It's Thursday and every Thursday, On the Block, presented by Empower Federal Credit Union. The head coach, thanks, Brent. Dino Babers, comes on. Plenty to discuss with Dino about the... So when you're back on the map, what changes? What changes your approach? You have become more of the hunted than the hunter. You are back on the radar screen. You've got, not that Dino would discuss this, but you've got Clemson looming next week, which both teams should be undefeated. Like, the game is stepping up here. So what changes when you are, in the words of the head coach, back on the map? We will discuss that, preview UConn, of course, discuss the Dungy-DeVito dynamic the terrific performance by the defense a week ago against Florida State, and why home improvement keeps coming up in our conversations. So, uh, Dino Babers, as usual, Thursdays during the Syracuse football season. We are also going to talk some college football today with a friend of mine, former radio partner, now doing his thing on the worldwide leader, Anish Shroff. He texted me a very interesting stat about Syracuse football that we'll kind of go over. Anish is certainly a passionate alum, but can... Certainly look at these things objectively as well. Where in the world has Anish been in the world of college football? Some of the teams that he has seen and the games that he has called one of the smarter, level-headed, but passionate at times broadcasters out there. Guy who I really enjoy uh, getting his perspective from, and not just because he's a friend of mine. Anish Shroff will join us right here in this hour. 
It's incredible that it took this long for Joe Morris to be honored by Syracuse University. So, yeah, Uncle Brent's going to put you on his knee and tell some Joe Morris stories today. For those of you that aren't really familiar with or can appreciate Joe Morris, and I have to be honest with you, my hand's up there. I mean, Joe Morris started at Syracuse the year I was born. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend, I remember seeing Joe Morris at Archbold. I was there the first night of the Carrier Dome. I was two, so I wasn't. But I have certainly, I did a video about this on Syracuse.com today. When you hear that his number's being retired, you appreciate the perspective. You do your research, you look at it. But this is something I've been saying for 10 years. This is something I've been saying since I had the microphone and the opportunity to do so. When you started to see some players that were getting recognized and some numbers either being retired or just honored. And I'm like, uh, Joe Morris, anyone? Like, he owns every single record at a school where Floyd Little, Jim Brown, and Ernie Davis went. Like, hello? So what changed? Why did he finally get over the hump? We will discuss that a little bit. The what-ifs of Randy Edsel when he comes into the Carrier Dome with Connecticut this weekend. And you know what? Why don't we start right there? I'm going to complain about the Red Sox a little, too, later. Fair warning about that. <laughs> Can we just win the division, please? Just get that over with. And all of a sudden, a team that scores a 1,000 runs cannot score any. I'm not worried. I'm not. No, it's, it's, everything's fine. Everything's fine. No, it's just, I'm good. I'm, I'm really good. I'm just, why do you ask? I, I, no, it's, it's fine. Everything's fine. Please change the subject. Let's talk some Syracuse football. So my colleague and friend, Nate Mink, at Syracuse.com, in a new episode of Orange Weekly, is up on Syracuse.com and on the YouTube, and I sent it out on social media channels. Uh, please find that. It's Nate and I talk Syracuse football. It's our new weekly video series. A little plug for that. I hope you can check it out. Nate wrote two really good pieces today and yesterday, and they're up on Syracuse.com if you want to check them out. And it's about Randy Edsel. And, you know, look, this just in Randy Edsel played quarterback at Syracuse, coached at Syracuse, recruited some of the more familiar names in the history of Syracuse football, and was up for the Syracuse job, it seemed like, every single time it came up from 1990 on, and it came up more often than you would have wanted to when Paul Pasqualoni left, and then eventually Greg Robinson was fired, and when eventually Doug Marone left for the National Football League, and Scott Schaefer. Not that Edsel was up at that point, but his name just will be forever linked to what is one of the great what-if questions. It's not really the what-if question, but it's a fair one to ask because his name came up so often. To me, if you're going to get into that what-if discussion, I mean, we can what-if it all day. What if Keith Smart shot went off the rim? And, you know, history gets altered by these things, certainly. But my favorite what-if discussion when it comes to not only Syracuse football, but Syracuse athletics in general, is what if Michael Vick came here as planned, as it seemed that coaching staff was thinking they were going to go from McNabb to Vick. And the, the course of Syracuse football could have been altered drastically. But to put Randy Edsel in that conversation is fair, and if you read Nate's piece, he's pretty open about it. He's pretty open. Now, we don't know what the question is. I want to know what the question is. I, I didn't even ask Nate, you know, in a off-the-record-between-you-and-me situation, just because I didn't see him today. If I did, I would have certainly, yo, give me the scoop on that. But if you read Nate's piece about this today, he says it's right in the opening of the story, and I'll just read it to you briefly. The question that doomed Randy Edsel from coaching his alma mater 
is one 27 years later he holds no regret for how he answered. Syracuse football reached a crossroads at the height of its resurgence. At the time, Dick McPherson left after the 1990 season to coach the New England Patriots, and the school wanted to hire within the program to sustain momentum. Jake Crowdhamel, the athletic director for Syracuse at the time, spent much of his Monday in New Orleans at the coaches' convention meeting with McPherson's staff for a fateful interview with Edsel, a man whose fingerprints were all over the program's renaissance, pivoted the search for McPherson's replacement away from him. Edsel won't talk on the record about the question, but he knew, based on Krauthammel's displeasure from his answer, his candidacy was effectively over, said Edsel. Now, this is present day. Quote, I was upfront and honest, and it probably hurt me. Now, look, they went with Pascaloni, and for the most part, things were obviously good. Syracuse enjoyed some of its best seasons ever, winning more than 70% of its games in Pascaloni's first eight seasons through the end of the McNabb era. In 1998, the record then 68-26-1. and It obviously started to level out, dovetail a little bit there, 6-5, and 4-8, and eight, the 10-3 and three, uh, blurb under Dwight Freeney, but it was just becoming consistently mediocre. And a change was made, and as it turns out, that change did not work out, and as they say, the rest is history, right? So I don't know how much different things would have been under Randy Edsel. He was certainly tempted to go to Maryland from Connecticut. He didn't take the plane home, which he now admits was a huge mistake. But there are some football coaches that are happy where they are. If they establish a pattern of success, they really see no reason to leave. And from 1991 to 2004, Paul Pascaloni was one of those people. He has since taken on a number of jobs in the National Football League, currently right by Matt Patricia's side with the Detroit Lions. But there are some vagabonds. There are some football coaches that after two or three years get itchy and want to see other parts of the world. And, you know, had Edsel kept up that success, who knows? But, you know, you tug at the heartstrings a little bit. You tug at the alma mater a little bit. It's the direction they went with Marone. They felt like they had to go back to somebody to use an expression that had skin in the game after Mark Coyle left as athletic director. That's the direction they went in with John Wildhack. Sometimes your best answer is right in front of you. So it's interesting that in 1990, when McPherson left, that that's what they wanted to do, stay within the program. Edsel had quarterback Syracuse, had put in 10 years as an assistant. We mentioned on yesterday's show, and Nate's story covers this, some of the huge names that he had brought in, some of the best players in the history of the program. Pascaloni had only been around for four years. So you got to wonder what was said in that room that led to history going down one road instead of the other. And now Edsel comes back in a second run at Connecticut. And he was on with Matt Park earlier today. You can hear that interview at ESPNSyracuse.com. Just hop in the audio vault to check that out. And Connecticut is, as we've been discussing this week, your irrational fear of this game, a train wreck. Their defense is starting at times eight true freshmen. They have a good quarterback. They scored 56 points against an FCS team, so they got that going for them, which is nice. They had to hold off said FCS team in a shootout just to win. They got their doors blown off by a combined, what was it, 128 to 16 in the first two games before that. Yeah, people still insist out there. Oh, it's trap game. That's why you play the games and all these other ridiculous cliches with no evidence to support it. 
basing it on voodoo, basing it on just bad feelings and, you know, things that do happen. People are superstitious, and I understand why they're superstitious at times, but you know what? I'm basing my opinion that Syracuse is going to throttle UConn on what I've seen so far this year, on the fact that UConn's defense is 129th in the country and other things that I've covered throughout the week. But I'm looking at Randy Edsel in the American Athletic Conference at Connecticut, what will forever be a basketball school, no matter what UConn does football-wise. At least Syracuse has the history, has some of the names I've mentioned and some that I have not. Basketball in the mid-1970s really established itself and has maintained under Jim Beheim, and at least the scale at times weighs to one or the other, but at least there have been times it's been pretty balanced, and the history is rich there. Connecticut football has a blip of recent history. I just saw Randy Edsel tweet this, as a matter of fact. Okay, so here, I'll pull it up while we're yakking about it here. About good luck to our NFL alums that are out there. And there are some decent players that are in the National Football League that came out of Connecticut. And, of course, I can't find it on my computer now. But point being... There was a good stretch run there where, yeah, Connecticut was sending some players to the NFL. Good players, too. What a job he has. So you just have to look there and see. And it's interesting to hear. I, I was listening to some interviews from some SU players this week. I believe you'll hear Dino Baber say this when I talk to him about an hour and change from now about how people are like, well, you know, Connecticut may be down now, but in three years, you better look out. That team's going to be unbelievable. And I don't know if people are just saying that to be nice because they feel like they have to, or if they see something in the talent there, they see something on film that says, okay, they're a little young, they're a little raw now, but Randy Etzel is recruiting. Randy Etzel's doing some things that maybe he could circle it back to at least somewhat where he was the first time around. College football has changed drastically even since then. If you're not on a Power 5 conference, it is exceedingly difficult to build even a competitive program. This is not their time, though, and this is a game that I'll maintain until I'm wrong that Syracuse will handle their business easily, and uh, we're on to Clemson. Let's break on that note. Let us come back and talk some college football with a good friend of the show, good friend of mine, former radio partner of mine. Let's do it, baby. Anish Shroff joins us next. Dino Babers later in the show. Hot takes to come. We'll discuss the legacy of Joe Morris and why the hell it took so long to honor this guy. All that on the way. But before we do any of that, we are going to check in on the diamonds and the dogs and what's happening on the stock market. And our good friend Lee Baldwin is here to do that, ladies and gentlemen. Lee, how's your Thursday going, bud? It is awesome. Third day in a row, the market's up. X-Men, it's all good. Now, i got to tell you a true story. Before we came into the office, I was, I, so we have a little office that we share. It's me and uh, Pauly Sibilia and Seth Goldberg. And so, so Pauly says... Right. The market's up, but none of my stocks are. <laughs> so I said, hey, why don't you listen today when Lee Baldwin comes in and bing, bang, boom, we can turn around your fortunes a little we bit. We can make it happen. Let's do it. Let's All right. Do it. Uh, actually, uh, I was just looking. You know, Forbes had the Cowboys as the most valuable NFL team. You've been talking about that? Yes. $5 billion and, and the Bills came in second, which shocked me. Yes, they did. 
No. About that. Yeah. No, no. 30 oh, seconds. Oh, come on. 1.6 billion, but uh, yeah. I would take that. <laughs> I would take that. Yeah. Kim and uh, Terry Pagula still have some work to do. <laughs> but after another great day, uh, we had a lot of diamonds to pick from, but I'm going to go with Under Armour today, which was up 6% as they, uh, they are cutting costs and they're trying to keep up with Nike and Adidas. Adidas has really become a huge competitor to to both of those guys. So that's my diamond today. Our dog goes to Thor Industries. Uh, They make the Airstream RV, their RV maker, and it's been a very popular stock actually with millennials, but uh, they dropped 13% today on lower earnings. So millennials driving around taking selfies uh, maybe didn't help as much as I thought. Man, millennial stocks are, are tanking. Snapchat the other day, this one, you know, sometimes a good old reliable just uh, comes in when you need it to, right? You got it. Good so. stuff. Thank you, Lee. All right. Have a great one. Talk to you soon, my friend. It's Lee Baldwin, Diamonds and Dogs, LeeBaldwin.com. You can find their offices in Casanova, Utica. Get in there. Don't be like Pauly Sebelia. Get good stock advice. Anish Shroff coming up next. We'll talk some college football. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent X. That it is, my friends. Welcome aboard or uh, welcome back if you've been hanging out the whole way. We appreciate that. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Uh, Moose out front should have told you. 437-7644, Brent X Media on Twitter. The text line is 2880644. On the Block is presented by Fusillo Automotive. Dino Babers, he's the head coach. You knew that already. He is going to join this program coming up uh, about 20 minutes or so, uh, just past bottom of the hour. We'll do our weekly chat with the head coach. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Coach. Presented by Empower Federal Credit Union. Question, why did it take so long for Joe Morris's number 47 to be retired? I mean, there's a short answer and a long answer to that. I'll give kind of the middle of the pack answer. It's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of suggestion. It's not for lack of... um. You know this guy has every conceivable rushing record at a school where Floyd Little, Jim Brown, Ernie Davis went. Now, to be fair, uh, they played a year shorter than Joe Morris did, but he still has all those freaking records, and it took till now to say, like, we should probably honor that guy. And as the story goes, some of you know it, maybe a few of you don't, Joe Morris was offered the number 44 by Dick McPherson in his senior season, and he said, you know what, I'm good. And he felt like he wasn't worthy of the honor. Now, we're going to hear from Joe on the show tomorrow. Joe Morris is going to join me here on the block. Looking forward to that conversation. And Joe's a very humble guy, and, you know, I think he's very appreciative of the honor, but he isn't somebody who's been stomping around for the past, you know, 20 years saying, hey, when are you going to get to me? He's just not that type of person. But he would have every right to. Joe Morris, most yards in a single game. He has two career 200-yard rushing games, by the way, one of which 252 yards still stands. It's the highest rushing total in a single game for Syracuse. Most yards in a season, 1,372. Most yards in a career, 4,299. Most yards per game in a season, 124 yards per game. In the 1979 season, the last before the Carrier Dome opened. Most yards per game in a career, 113 yards per game. Most carries in a season, 261. He's actually tied with that, but still has it. 
813 career carries. Yeah, you guessed it, most in Syracuse history. 100-yard games in a season, seven. That's a record. Consecutive 100-yard games, five. That's a record. 22 career 100-yard games. Not only is that a record, like he lapped the field on that. The next closest, the second person on that list is Larry Zonka, who had 15 100-yard games in his career. Opening night of the Carrier Dome, which, by the way, was 40 years ago today, September 20th, 198, not 40 years, pardon me, 38 years ago today. 40 years ago today, or 40 years ago last week, I was born. I should know this. 38 years ago today, September 20th, 1980. Joe Morris had 300 total yards and four touchdowns. And I'll never forget that in this sense. I was two. I wasn't there. But my dad always would tell me the story of how he missed Joe Morris's kick return for a touchdown because he was in the bathroom. You know, never want to miss history like that. Fifty thousand people plus officially there. Eighty-five thousand people claim that they were at the opening night of the Carrier Dome. Right, another really hot night for those of you that were sweating off a few pounds at the Florida State game. Right, and the jokes began then about how the Carrier Dome doesn't have air conditioning. And Joe Morris had three hundred total yards, four touchdowns. In a bad weather game, 1979 Independence Bowl, 155 yards. That was Syracuse's first postseason appearance in 13 years. So why did it take so long for this guy to be honored like this? Because he clearly earned it. There is nothing against the legacy and legend and stories and statues of 44. It is what Syracuse is identified with. Anytime you can tell that story, you should. I was mildly annoyed when they put the statues up a few years ago, just from the sense of, okay, like, we get it. We've heard this story. Can we tell other stories, please? Can we honor other players? Because there are other great players that deserve that legacy. And people have been banging on that drum for years. Now, I'm, I'm speculating here, and I, if he's gone on the record and said this, then I, I would credit that. But I'm, I'm going to speculate here that it finally got done, partially because John Wildhack was a student at Syracuse when Joe Morris was setting all those records that I just mentioned and can appreciate what kind of player Joe Morris was and probably came in and when it was suggested to him that this be done, somebody who watched him play and embraced it and knew it said, yeah, well, how come we haven't done this yet? It amazes me how long it takes some of these things to be done, how obvious they are. Like, Jerry McNamara's number three should have been up the next year. Like, what are we waiting for? How long it even took Carmelo's 15 to go up? How, particularly how long it took Louie and Bowie's number to go up. Like, what are the procedures with this? There are just some things that are no-brainers. And by the way, Joe Morris is on that list. And the fact that it took this long and McNabb went up before him, nothing against McNabb and his legacy football-wise. Off the field, we got a whole different conversation. But football-wise, some of the names that were going up before Joe freaking Morris, I'm like, what What are you doing? And sometimes, you know, order isn't important in these things. It's better late than never. But, man, this guy just dominated. 
A five foot seven running back, by the way. Five seven. Little Joe Morris running around, setting all these records, which made him much harder to tackle. So at least that wrong has been righted. The 47 will go up. It's something that I have banged the drum on from this show since the minute I took the airwaves in Syracuse in 2002. Celebrate yourself. Put it out in front of me. Show me. You know, the Crunch are having their 25th anniversary season, and I have been banging on that drum for them. Really, since they got to 20, I've said this to Howard Dolgan on the air. I've said it off the air, and we're making a little progress on that front. I'll just say that and keep the rest under my hat for now, (laughs) a little tease for some things to come. But listen, you've been around 20 years, and you've had all these great players come through, these fan favorites, these names that people recognize, and it doesn't even have to be in the sense of Syracuse players that have gone to the NFL. Most of the names that they've honored were great players in the National Football League. John Mackey is one of the great tight ends ever. Obviously, Jim Brown, Floyd Little, Ernie Davis. We know what their legacies are. Ernie Davis was the number one overall pick by the Cleveland Browns, and we all know the story why he couldn't play there. Floyd Little is a pro football Hall of Famer. Jim Brown is the greatest football player ever, according to many. Larry Zonka, Hall of Famer. Like, the NFL influence is great. Joe Morris was not a pro football Hall of not by any stretch. It's the legacy you have here. It's the same thing with the crunch. Like, it doesn't matter what they do in the NHL. What did they do here? I shouldn't say it doesn't matter, but it, it shouldn't be predicated on that. Every time I go to one of your games, I need to be told your story right in front of my face. Has the Carrier Dome atmosphere improved there? Drastically. Walk around the place. See the photos they've put up. Not only the the game presentation, the ribbon lighting and all that stuff. Tell your story. Great stadiums do this. The Ring of Honor. Hall of Fames. Wall of Fames. Hanging banners. Whatever you want to call it. And the fact that the opportunity was lost for so long. For some kid to look up and say, hey, Dad, why is 47 up there? Who's Morris? Look, you righted a wrong, you corrected it, it's going to happen. And any Syracuse football fan that has studied for five minutes knew who Joe Morris was. You don't need that to tell that story, but at your games is where it's most important to tell it. How many times did ESPN or whoever's doing the broadcast of the game, when they're coming back from commercial, they show the banner, right? All the banners that are in the building. That's how you tell your story. Now, Joe Morris would come up in conversation, but it's just so easy to do, and it should be done more. I don't think you can do it enough in some senses. Well, you can't retire jerseys three or four times a year. Why not? If you have enough of a history and enough of a legacy, put it up there. I'm not saying retire the numbers to take them out of commission. I'm saying honor the numbers. Put them out there. Present them. These are these players. 437-7644 is the phone number. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 2880644. Dino Babers is coming up a little bit later on. We'll talk more on Syracuse and UConn coming up. We've got a lot to do. Hang in there. We'll do it when we come back. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Thank you. Bye-bye.